Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetic industry. This is episode 355, and it's a big one. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, Valerie. Great to see you. Good to see you. I almost called you Purry, which is appropriate because of the kittens, but we'll talk about that in a minute. On today's show, we're going to cover some great questions, including, does freezing hair cause damage? Does skin get immune to the benefits of skincare products? What do we think of coconut oil for hair? Are collagen supplements for skin a myth? What are the key ingredients in shampoos like Nioxin that make hair look more full? And what makes Curel Hydrotherapy Wet Skin Moisturizer a water-activated moisturizer? I told you it's a lot of questions today. I know, six questions. Whoa. Woo! But that inane chit-chat. So I think the first question we have today is a great one because it's wintertime where we are in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, and when we say winter, at least here in Chicago, you know, when I got back from my trip to Antigua, uh, it was like five degrees here in Chicago. You deserve it. (laughs) <laughs> and I didn't bring any gloves there. You know, you go to the airport, you're going somewhere warm. You don't dress for where you are. You dress for where you're going. So I didn't have clothes on. And then my train back from the airport broke down at a stop. I had They got everybody off, and I had to wait in the cold for 15 minutes. Oh. Unprepared for the cold. But, you know, I took it as a stoic challenge, and I persevered. And I'm a, be- I'm a better character for it. You are. You are. Well, speaking of cold, it also has been cold in Dallas, Texas, where I live now. We had a polar vortex hit the United States and Canada, and the tip of it reached all the way down to Texas. So we saw temperatures around 15 degrees for the high. And that's Fahrenheit. That's Fahrenheit. Celsius, that wouldn't be too bad. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Fahrenheit. And that's pretty cold for Texas. In fact, it was so cold, stash short for blood mustache, the feral cat in our neighborhood, he wanted to come inside the lab and Mr. Cosmetic Chemist let him. Oh, really? And he came in and he was good, huh? Oh, he loves it. He gets his cuddles. He gets something to drink. He gets a bite to eat. He checks out what's going on. And then he takes a little nap and says, okay, I'm ready to go back outside because he's very social. He always has to see what's going on in the neighborhood. And then we let him back out. Wow, that's a very friendly feral cat. I have two that come in, Puffers and the Heat Miser, and they're they're both they're both fine, but they like to get back outside, uh, you know, after they've had a snack or something. Unfortunately, they also don't like each other that much. They're kind of frenemies. Mm, and mm. today they were in the house together, and there was a fight, and I had to break them up. But there was yellow fur all over the place. Oh. So. But they always hang out together. I don't understand. They're they're like bad roommates or something. <laughs> well, maybe they're siblings because sometimes siblings don't get along. Oh, well, they could be. They are both puffy. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Well, you know, I'll stop to me, Valerie. I was, I got back from my trip and now my Apple Watch doesn't work. And so I've tried to stand for 12 hours and it's not working. And my when I go for a run, I don't get credit for the moving it's very, very upsetting to me. But I went to the store, the Apple store. They're like, yeah, the warranty ran out 73 days ago. You need to buy a new one. 
Of course it did. Well, maybe it froze in the cold when you came back. It couldn't handle the train break. I, I guess not. I'm kind of annoyed about it, quite frankly. I gave up my Apple Watch, and it was a great thing, because when you have the Apple Watch, you are constantly reminded that someone is trying to get a hold of you, and that's very stressful. So I actually have let mine go. It Actually, it works. Maybe I could mail it to you. I'm not interested in, in keeping it anymore, and... I've been very happy going back to an old-fashioned analog watch. I'm very happy. Well, you are, uh, I think oh, as you get older, you're going to be more of a Luddite. <laughs> <laughs> a Luddite? Hey yeah, there. Yeah, you know, it's someone who goes away from technology and embraces I know. You're going to start writing in notebooks with pen and paper. <laughs> I do. I actually have a pencil sharpener at my desk oh. and one on my keychain. Ah. But that's, that's more of a Virgo characteristic than anything. No, I, I understand the uh, the tendency to want to get away from technology, especially, you know, your phone buzzes, your watch buzzes, everybody's always trying to bug you. <laughs> so I can totally get that. But I could also see why you need one, because you are a very active joggler, and you need to be able to track your runs, whereas I yeah. am not a joggler or a runner or a walker. You know what I like most about my watch? The timer, because... In, in a way to try to regulate my drinking, I will set a timer so I can only take a sip every 10 minutes. So, and that actually works because <laughs> I'm a nice. very fast drinker. So, <laughs> Oh, nice. Yeah. No, I sip on liquids all day. So I don't have, I have the opposite problem. Speaking of drinking, I think we've got some news. I saw this this week. Is this the latest beauty trend on TikTok? And that is raw milk. Did you see this article? I, I saw what you sent, but yeah, raw milk seems like a terrible idea. Who is dumping raw milk all over themselves for the sake of beauty? It is a terrible idea, I think, for a multitude of reasons. Yeah, I mean, it, it does, first, it's not pasteurized, so it doesn't seem safe. So it's going to be, it could be contaminated, right? It could. And if you have an open wound on your face and you're exposing yourself to these microorganisms, you could be asking for a big problem, or even if you get it into your eyes or maybe another orifice if you're, let's say, bathing in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that seems like a bad idea. And a wasteful one, right? Yeah, shouldn't people be drinking milk? And you could be making ice cream with that milk. <laughs> and raw milk is very expensive. You have to get it, yeah. at least in the United States, at specialty stores. And it's honestly not recommended to drink it. In fact, at least in California, there's a specialty grocery store that sells it. And it actually has yeah. uh, warnings on it that it could be dangerous to consume. There is a whole culture out there, a group who think pasteurization really kills milk. But uh, that's not based on science that's uh, based on you know holistic beliefs or something i wouldn't recommend drinking non-pasteurized milk or bathing in it for that matter and a lot of people like to use milk because they think that the natural acids in the milk especially goat's milk or maybe yak milk or something like that uh, help with uh, beautification and exfoliation of skin but the truth is these milks while they are a little bit on the fermented side they don't actually contain enough acid of any kind to do anything, you would be better yeah. off using a skincare product. But what milk does have is lipids and polysaccharides, which do make skin feel really good. So I could see the temptation to do it. Well, it seems like you could get any of the benefits you get from raw milk you could get with a regular skincare product. So I don't see a huge benefit in doing this. And it's not vegan. 
for the vegan for the <laughs> vegan people vegan. out there. I you know if you care about vegan skincare products, you would you know not use raw milk. It's not vegan. I wonder if it has uh, if they get rid of all the prions, so you don't have to worry about mad cow disease. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Pasteurization like might idea. help with that. Yeah, yeah. What did you see today? Well, I saw an article that was interesting in the Washington Post called Do, Doing Your Own Research is a Good Way to End Up Being Wrong. And it made me think of our own show and because we get a lot of people who are encouraged in skincare and hair care and cosmetics area to do their own research. And I just think that's not a great idea. I recall a podcast you were once on and or a webinar, I should say, and it was two different opposing views. And your opponent actually said, no, people should be doing their own research and coming to their own conclusions. And it's our responsibility to just put information out there for them. And I remember saying it, thinking at the time, wow, that's really dangerous. Yeah. And the reason it's dangerous is there's a a wide range of things, but mostly there's first there's lots of misinformation out there. And so if you're not an expert in a topic, it's really hard to distinguish between what is good and bad information. Often what happens is that people just tend to read something and if they believe it in their guts, then they're just going to believe that. So they're really just looking for things that support what they already believe. And also it's so much easier to get attention with something that's fake than rather the truth. You know, false things are just more interesting or scary things are more interesting mm-hmm, than mm-hmm. what's true, you know? In fact, the, when things are true, they're usually kind of boring <laughs> or, you know, not shocking enough, so nobody really remembers them. So for those reasons, it's hard to actually do your own research. When someone says they're doing their own research, it's really just tends to be a way to reinforce their own beliefs. I agree. Now, you can go through this article, and this article is kind of just saying, oh, yeah, there's all pointing out all the problems with doing your own research, but it's not terribly helpful for the audience. So I thought, let's be a little more helpful and say, okay, if you're not going to do your own research, what should people do? And what do people mean when they say do your own research? What does that mean? Well, when I do research, the first thing, well, if I'm not talking about Google Scholar and that kind of stuff, let's say I want to learn about a topic. I mean, the first thing I do is I go to Google and I type in what I'm looking for. And of course, Google knows my behaviors. They know my thought patterns. And so it's not going to be an unbiased uh, search population popping up. In fact, usually it's reliant on what my other internet browsing has been. It's reliant on SEO of what people think I'm looking for. And so when you do your own research on the internet, which is what most people do nowadays, you know, they're not going to the library and looking through the decimal cards. You're doing research that not to, you know, discredit to me the quote unquote researcher, but you're doing research that's pulling up things that reinforce your own beliefs because that's the information being presented to you. You're likely not going to be presented with a counter thought process. Exactly. And the thing is, when to me, when somebody says, do your own research, there's two types of research. There's research where you're going and you're looking at books and looking for information, or there's research where you're in a lab and you're mixing things together and you're experimenting. I think when people say, do your own research, they're not talking about the experimenting stuff, which is what chemists do in a laboratory. They're talking about go to an encyclopedia and read on the subject. And the problem with that is you don't know what the reliable sources are. But 
when you are, quote, doing your own research, the first thing you should do is go into it uh, with a good assessment of your own ability to understand stuff. It it always amazes me how confident people are who have no background in the subject, but they're very confident in what they believe about toxicology. Because <laughs> it's a complicated subject, even if you know it. But if you don't have a science background, what you believe about toxicology is you should not have a lot of faith in your own beliefs in that. So what you need to do is go find some credible sources and experts. Now, as Valerie said, you do Google. You type Google. That's not a bad place to start, but just because something shows up first in Google does not necessarily mean it's from a a reliable source. For example, if you go to Google and type sunscreen, you know who comes up first? The Environmental environmental Working Group. group, Because every year they do a sunscreen thing. But their information is not really reliable. It's it's very biased and uh, it's not really science-based. You have to go down a couple of spaces and you can find the American Academy of Dermatology. They have something that comes up in sunscreen. So you have to also understand the group and, you know, what's their background if you're going to look for reliable sources. Exactly. We've talked about this before on the show. Even people who present themselves online to be really educated um, and experts in a subject, you do have to do a little digging and say, okay, who are they? How did they become an expert? You know, was it through armchair or actual experience? Are they relevant in the industry? And why are they giving me this information? And so you do have to do a little vetting there as well. Yeah. And for information about cosmetics, you can check out things that are published like by the Society of Cosmetic Chemists or the IFSCC, uh, organizations like cosmeticinfo.org, which is a, a trade organization. In the, in the UK, they have uh, the CTPA, I believe, uh, .org. They, they have a pretty good website on that. Also, just the government in general is a great resource. The FDA, the Food and Drug Association in the United States, Health Canada in Canada, uh, the CIR, which is the Cosmetic Ingredient Review Board, or the SCCS, which is the Scientific I always forget what SCCS stands for. <laughs> the Scientific consumer Committee safety. on Consumer Safety. Yeah. All right. I could never remember what the first C is for. But anyway, uh, these are government, uh, non-industry affiliated organizations. So their agenda is just to report the facts. Yeah. And also another thing that's helpful is if you practice your own Uh, critical thinking skills. Be skeptical. Uh, Just remember, especially if somebody is trying to sell you something or somebody's trying to convince you to do some sort of thing based on TikTok, um, a lot of times something on TikTok is based just because they want to get attention and get popularity. And so they do something crazy like bathe yourself in raw milk. (laughs) And that gets popular. And so what they're trying to do is get more views and more clicks. And that's good for attention and building their channels. But it's not actually telling you real information or uh, reliable information. Speaking of information, it's important to listen to the opposite side. They clearly have an opinion or a conclusion because they got the information from somewhere, right? And like anything, you know, you don't want to be too polarizing, um, like in the political climate of today all over the world. Listen yeah. to the other perspective and try to understand why they've come to that conclusion. Perry always is willing to listen and be proved wrong, and we should do that too. Yeah. I mean, it's rare that I've, I find myself to be wrong, but I'm... <laughs> 
I'm always willing to be. You know, that would be an interesting show sometime. We have to just a list of things that we changed our mind about. It would be short, but <laughs> at least we listened to the diverse perspective of many. Indeed. You also want to try to avoid confirmation bias. You know, we all want to believe that we're right, and we seek out information that proves that we're right, and we kind of avoid the things that make us seem like we're wrong. So I just Delete. want you to... Right. <laughs> Exactly. So just recognize your biases and remain open to the idea that maybe you're wrong about something. In fact, uh, in science, we try to celebrate the times we are wrong because then you've learned what's not true, which is just as important as finding out what is true. And finally, just remember, no single source is infallible, except, of course, the beauty brains here. <laughs> it's often, <laughs> But it's also beneficial to cross-reference information uh, from a number of sources. Well, that does bring up the interesting question, Perry. We skirted around it here. What is one thing that you've changed your mind about? I would say probably global warming. When the first notions of that came out, I thought it was like overblown, hyperbably scare stories. But I'm pretty fairly convinced now that it's a, it's a big issue for society and will be in the future. And that's just based on you know, exposure to sciences, scientists and what scientists are saying and uh, information over time. But yeah, I think that's a significant thing. Well, Valerie, what's one thing that you might have changed your mind about? Well, related to the show, I'd have to say that when celebrity brands first started coming out, I'm not going to admit, I'm a bit of like a TMZ watcher sometimes. It's the sure. best place to get the first news that's coming out on something. Oh, that At least about and, celebrities, right? <laughs> that and Us Weekly, okay? Ah, yeah. So with all these celebrity brands coming out, at first I was really excited because celebrities have such a large platform and a couple of them were doing great things where they were trying to raise awareness of an issue or uh, teach people how skincare or sourcing of an ingredient is really important. Yeah. But now I hate them, and I actually get really annoyed <laughs> when one comes up. And it's not because we've seen so many of them. It's like, oh, not again, another celebrity brand. It's just that they're launching these brands to make money. Yeah. It seems like they're not doing it because they have something that really is just fueling and feeding their passion. Jessica Alba is a great example of someone who was a celebrity. She started her own company, Honest Company, yeah, and that's what she's company. doing. She's not acting anymore. This really is, no matter how much I think she's wrong on so many levels, right? Um, or not really like carrying out the company vision based on, on what they say versus what they're doing. But I really feel like she is someone who found this passion in her life and she's living and breathing it. And she's doing what she thinks is sure. right to help people. That's really incredible but a lot of these other celebrities i feel like it's a bit of a get rich quick scheme they slap their name on it and they just say oh sell as many as you can and quit it when it's done and they're comfortable with pumping hundreds of thousands of units that ultimately in some way shape or form used or unused just end up in a landfill and that's right. what i don't like it's not purpose driven it's not fulfilling this need for people it's just putting their name on something that honestly like isn't very unique and so I have changed my mind on that. All right. Well, there we are. Look at us. Look how open-minded we are. <laughs> <laughs> Even though that's more of an opinion, but I'm sure there's other stuff from a factual information gathering perspective has changed my mind. That'll be a whole show. What have we changed our mind about? And also what really works, <laughs> according to Perry. <laughs> All right. Well, let's head over to some beauty questions. 
The first one comes to us from Susanna. Hi, Beauty Brains. I live in Sweden and cold season is here, as well as in Dallas. I try to avoid going outside with wet hair, but sometimes it can't be avoided. When I go out with my hair dripping wet, it freezes into solid hairsicles. Does this cause mechanical damage to my hair? And so is it worse than the damage that would be caused by blow drying? In other words, should I blow dry my hair before going out in freezing temperatures if my aim is to minimize damage? Thanks for a great podcast. Regards, Susanna. Have you ever had that happen where you go outside and you get the icicles in your head? I have, but my mother was very diligent about ensuring we did not go outside with wet hair. I know that when I go running, I'll start with dry hair, but my hair gets wet and I'm in the middle of winter and the hair is wet and... I get these icicles in my hair uh, during, a, during, you know, if you're five miles outside in five degree weather, that's going to happen. Well, I've seen on TikTok recently, at least in Texas, people are enamored with the cold weather. So they're going outside with sopping wet hair, letting mm-hmm. it freeze and then throwing it up straight on top of their head. Whoa. And I would like to say that is probably very damaging for a couple of reasons. Yes. One, getting your hair wet is probably like the most one of the not the most damaging thing you could do but it's a leading cause of damage for weathering yeah. your hair over time hair is supposed to be hydrophobic meaning it doesn't like water but as your hair lives life on your head it slowly loses that protective layer and so right. hair can become wet and it's not good for the keratin in the hair fiber at all the fibers will swell up when it absorbs water and the cuticle will kind of lift up and if it dries up and it'll lift back down and it'll, it'll uh, de-swell and go back to how it was. Now, you change the configuration a little bit so that fiber is a little bit weaker, but it's not a huge amount of damage. Now, if you're going outside and your hair freezes, that's creating these ice crystals which kind of, will, f- uh, you know, it's going to lock that damage into place. And then when it when the ice melts and the water goes away, it's going to be more damaged than if it was dry and you went outside. Happens once, not a big deal. You do it all the time, probably not great. If you do it intentionally, hang your head upside down and then whip your head straight up, probably worse because that mechanical action is super damaging for your hair. And you could get whiplash. And you could get whiplash. (laughs) So if you're doing it every day, I probably would say not great you should take care to blow it dry but if you're happening if this is happening to you once a week i probably would say it's not a big deal but best to blow it dry anyway i think so yeah don't go outside with with wet hair if you can avoid it because it is a little bit damaging our next question comes to us from denise from yonkers she says i formulate my own products and have noticed that a product can work great for the first few times and then i stop seeing results I've noticed that with products I purchase as well, which leads me to the question, does your skin get immune to the benefits? Thanks, Denise. Wow, this is really a great question because I think we've all experienced this. We switch to a new product, we're wowed with the texture. Oh, my skin looks so dewy, it looks so bright. And then after a little bit, the product loses its special appeal. And sure. I actually don't think this is because the product stops working or our skin gets immune to it. I think we just get used to seeing the results 
and that yes. becomes the status quo. What's happening is I think your mind gets used to things after a while. And this this is very ordinary. A great example is you have a candle. It smells really wonderful and you, you light it and the wonderful scent feel, fills the room. After a yeah. while, you don't notice the fragrance anymore. And you're like, wow, my candle doesn't smell what's happening. But somebody else could walk into your home and say, wow, this candle smells really amazing. What kind is it? And you can say, hmm, oh, I don't really smell it anymore. You get acclimated. And so when you use a new exfoliant or a new moisturizer or even a new shampoo, at first, because it feels tactilely different and it's maybe leaving uh, your skin a tiny little bit smoother or a little bit more silky feeling, uh, that first couple times is like, wow. And then you get used to feeling that same sensation. You get used to seeing the same look and you get the sensation that your product is no longer doing what it's doing. However, if you use something like a skin brightener, you probably wouldn't see any results to begin with anyway, but then you're used to seeing your face every day. Someone yeah. else could see you and say, wow, your skin looks so much better than last time. So I think it's really more of a psychological attribute versus product. I think that's a great point. If you went and took laboratory measurements, for example, if you're using a new moisturizer and up front it feels like it's your skin's more moisturized and we did a, a corneometer readings or we did a tool meter readings, those wouldn't change over time. Your skin isn't getting used to it. But psychologically, you might just be getting used to what you, what it is, uh, what your experience is, and then you don't think it's doing anything anymore. Consumers are inherently dissatisfied, I, be I believe. <laughs> At least some, We're always some looking for are. what's yeah. better and what's new. Well, you know, in market research, we categorize consumers by a certain way, and one of them was called uh, a trendy Trixie who was always looking for something new. There was the basic Betty, who those are the people that bought the VO5 or the Swab. Right? I was going <laughs> to say bo boring Betty, but it's basic right. Betty. <laughs> the That's basic right. Betty, and right. trending, trending Trixie. The, the trendy Trixies, and then there was the, the Seeking Susans. And I think mm. this was back when that Desperately Seeking Susan was on uh, a movie or something, right? Was there one for Karen? Cost there was not a Karen, Karen. one. This, oh, this was in okay. the 90s before Karen was a thing. <laughs> <All right. laughs> but basically, what we found was that 75% of consumers were just inherently going to be dissatisfied with their cons with their cosmetic products and they were always looking for something new. Oh wow. I think that has to do with this well the marketing of cosmetics products is that people want to find something new and they get they get kind of used to how they're looking and they're still dissatisfied and so they think a new product is going to help them and it will for a moment because it helps you psychologically but i don't think your skin actually gets immune to the benefits in a physical way just a psychological way yeah wow what a great question and also i think it's really cool denise that you make your own products yeah, and in fact, if you want some ingredients for nah. your own products, there's <laughs> <a> like <laughs> simply-ingredients.com. That's not a plug, but we should mention that you are an ingredient sourcer, and uh, you know, if people are interested, they can check that out. We'll leave a link in the show notes. Speaking of link, I see another question that is actually more directed to Valerie, so I'm going to ask the question. Okay. 
I'm ready. This is from Mark. He says, hi, Perry and Valerie. Thanks for sharing your technical knowledge and industry experience with us. I'm a longtime listener, and sometimes in an episode, such as number 328, there will be mention of something like Valerie's Coconut Oil Rant. I would really like to have an entire episode dedicated to Valerie's thoughts on coconut oil for hair. I'm eager to hear her insights, and I think I'm not the only one. I'd also just say, perhaps not an entire episode, but uh, you did mention that you don't love coconut oil for hair. So why is that? And more importantly, Valerie, for the things that coconut oil is supposed to do, what would you recommend as a better alternative? Mm, mm. This is a great question, Perry. And I am definitely not a fan of coconut oil for the hair. And if you look on the internet, I would say this is a pretty polarizing topic because People either love coconut oil for hair and swear by it, or uh-huh. they can't stand it because it makes their hair feel dry and stiff. Hmm. And from a consumer perspective, I totally understand why coconut can feel this way on hair because I personally have had this experience. From a scientific perspective... Wait, which one have you had? You had the dry feel or the nice feel? Oh, the dry feel. Oh, dry and stiff. I can't right. stand the feeling of coconut oil on hair. I'm containing myself because the scientific literature actually shows that coconut oil does penetrate hair. But I'm going to save that for a second, okay? Sure. So let's just talk about oils for a second. I think it's interesting that we call coconut oil coconut oil because for the most part, it's actually a solid and looks to be more of a butter. But when we actually look at the chemical composition of what coconut oil is, like all oils, fats, or butters, it's basically uh, triglycerides. And an oil is usually a liquid set of triglycerides, whereas butters are uh, solid triglycerides. The chemistry piece of it is if you have a double bond in there, it's going to lower the solidification point, and coconut oil has some double-bonded, unsaturated ingredients. And that's why at at almost room temperature it can be either solid or liquid it's it's right around 25 or 27 degrees c or something well it's actually has a teeter of 22 degrees celsius which is about room temperature 71.6 degrees fahrenheit and i use the word teeter point you may be interested to know what that is a teeter point is the temperature in which an oil basically melts. It's the temperature at which it's a liquid versus a solid. And fats generally have a teeter point of more than 45 uh, point degrees Celsius, 40.5 degrees Celsius, and oils typically have a teeter point below. So the lower the teeter point, the harder it is for something to solidify. So coconut oil, I said, has one of 22 degrees Celsius. Jojoba oil has one of about six degrees Celsius. So it's actually really difficult to make jojoba oil a solid and in fact if you actually have an oil or you bought an oil from somewhere and it was shipped to you and it uh, was out in the cold maybe on the cold fedex plane and then on the mail truck to you you may notice it's slightly cloudy that means it's approaching its teeter value so for coconut oil it's very high which means it's a solid so this means very easily it goes from being a liquid to being a waxy solid. And if you've ever touched coconut oil with your hands, um, it doesn't it doesn't feel very good. And so I think what happens is, depending on where you live, what the humidity is like, and what the health of your hair is, when you put something with coconut oil on your hair, whether it's a butter, a balm, a serum, 
um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a rinse off conditioner. I think that any coconut oil on the hair will start to solidify before it has a chance to penetrate the hair fiber. And sure. what you're feeling instead of like dry and stiff um, is not necessarily your hair, but it's this solidified film that's left on the hair. Now, if it were a hot day, maybe you wouldn't feel it. The coconut oil would be a bit liquefied. It's supposed to penetrate the hair. And in the context of other ingredients, uh, it can penetrate to some extent. But really, what is the benefit that... So it's penetrating your hair. I suppose it's going to help with hair flexibility. But I think of all the other ingredients you can use for conditioning your hair, like cationic surfactants and silicones... And I just don't see how much what much benefit that you're getting out of coconut oil. You know, it's a nice natural story, I suppose. Well, there is one one value of using coconut oil. And this is if you're interested in reducing the porosity of your hair, which is a consumer term. So basically, I mentioned in a previous question, hair has this healthy fat layer on it that over time wears off and your hair becomes more susceptible to the negative effects of water. Well, what you can do with coconut oil is, or really any oil, kind of any oil, I'll talk about that in a second, is you can apply a coconut oil containing product or even just coconut oil to your hair. A portion of it is going to penetrate, not all of it. And again, depending on uh, the current health of your hair, some of it, it might not but uh, some of it will penetrate. And what this does is it reduces the ability of water to penetrate the hair. So from that perspective, if your goal is to restore lipids to your hair, coconut oil and some other oils might be the way to go because they do penetrate. However, there's not a lot of data on how coconut oil improves the fiber mechanics of hair. I did see one study that tried to look at it, but I don't think the data um, was significant. But it did, this particular study out of India did show that it afforded some color protection to hair, which makes sense because dyes are water soluble and they're in the hair fiber. So if you can prevent water uptake in the hair, you can reduce the amount of color loss that you have. Ah, Uh, But there's just not a lot of data behind it. Also, this study didn't look at other oils. So I didn't like that because really at the end of the day, uh, it's the property of it being an oil not necessarily coconut oil that's giving it the benefit. Now, as Perry mentioned, I do sell ingredients to people. I love oils. It is, aside from vitamin C, one of our other points of contention between each other. (laughs) Perry (laughs) believes that oils are just oils and you're going to be fine picking one. I think that the processing technique in which the oil is got in the plant It all makes a huge difference. I love, love, love oils. And when I sell oils on my website or in person to people, I always try to tell people what they're good for. For example, fruit oils like raspberry, blackberry, strawberry, these are really high in linoleic and linolenic acids. And these are really great for skin. These are polyunsaturated, uh, they're high in polyunsaturated acids, uh, these fruits are. And so these fatty acids love skin. They don't like hair. And there was a paper published in 2005 that looked at the ability of various oils of different chemical natures to penetrate into hair. And they have found that oils high in polyunsaturated acids, meaning it's high in linoleic and linolenic acids, do not penetrate into the hair fiber. These fatty acids, because they have these multiple double bonds Perry spoke about, are really 
big structures and they just cannot penetrate into the hair fiber. On the other hand, oils that are really high in monounsaturated acids like an oleic acid, so think marula oil. You guys know I love marula oil for hair. This <laughs> penetrates into the hair fiber pretty well uh, because it's high um, in oleic acid, which is an example of a monounsaturated acid. Yeah. And saturated acids penetrate really well into the hair as well. And coconut oil is high in saturated acids because it uh, doesn't have double bonds. The uh, right. molecules are very small. Coconut oil is really high in a carbon chain length of 8 and 10, uh, which makes it ideal for penetration into the hair. But that being said, I am not a firm believer that just because it can penetrate into the hair is a good thing. I think personally for me, the coconut oil molecules are too small. And I don't know that they necessarily improve fiber mechanics, but yeah. if you're interested in improving hydrophobicity of hair, which means improving hair porosity, it could be a choice. But guess what? So could oils that are liquid. Uh-huh. They can do that too, as long as they are high in monounsaturated acids like oleic acid. And so therefore, if I had two choices sitting in front of me and it was like, Valerie, you have to formulate with this coconut oil or with a different oil that's high in oleic acids, like sunflower, marula, macadamia, what are you gonna pick? And I would wipe the coconut oil into the trash can like a cat <laughs> knocking something off a table. Oh boy, that poor coconut oil. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does, and this is where, you know what, maybe this is something I've changed my mind on. I've accepted wow. that it does do things for the hair. Yeah. It does. It doesn't mean it feels good. It doesn't mean it's the right choice for everybody. Yeah. And but it doesn't some people mean, like it. It doesn't mean there's not a better choice out there. Probably the easiest thing about coconut oil is you can go to the grocery store and buy it, whereas a lot of oils for hair, you you couldn't do that. A lot of the good ingredients anyway. This is true. So I hope that helps settle some of the drama, Mark. Um, or maybe it created more drama. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it did. Speaking of drama, let's get to Elvira's question. Oh, gosh. This is a hot topic. And if you are into the supplements industry, you're probably not listening to this show. But let's pretend you are. <laughs> you're going to love this. Elvira says, is drinking collagen a myth? Is it effective for skin? Shall I throw out my collagen powders? Well, we've been writing about this since way early on in the beauty brains, and I preface all my discussions about supplements with the idea that in the United States, supplement industry is barely regulated. They're terribly regulated. So if you are buying collagen and you're drinking it and you're hoping that uh, some of these tiny studies that show some effect it's you're going to get some effect. Well, you don't even know that you're getting collagen for sure. There, there's just no, there's no minimal quality control. And I'm sure all the supplement people will say, oh, he's just wrong about that. And I'm like, well, it's not really regulated that way. So maybe there are some organizations that people can go to and get certified by, but they don't actually have to do that. And so the stuff, I know there is like a, a recent news report maybe last year where they went into like a Walgreens and a CVS and they took some supplements and they tested them to see if what was on the label was actually in the bottle. 
And and this happened, I think, in New York. And they found that, no, a lot of them did, did not contain the stuff that they said was in there. So I preface all my talk about supplements just because you're buying something and it says the word collagen in it doesn't mean you're getting collagen powder. But let's talk about the science of this let's anyway. Let's assume you are getting the collagen powder. <laughs> let's talk do. about the science. Yeah. I've looked into this, and I know there are studies published. Often the studies are sponsored by supplement makers, of course. That's the hard <laughs> part, yep. There is, but there are a number of them, and there's a lot of industry pressure to get scientists to believe, I be- think, that collagen supplements are going to be helpful. Now, the idea is that when you drink something, it gets in your stomach, it breaks down to the basic amino acids, and then your body is going to use that amino acids and proteins wherever in the body. So even if you drink collagen, doesn't mean it's going to go put more collagen at your skin. There was an article published in the journal Dermatology Practical and Conceptual in 2022 called Collagen Supplements for Aging and Wrinkles, a Paradigm Shift in the Fields of Dermatology and Cosmetics. And they said... The evidence from the reviewed study suggests that both collagen supplements improve skin moisture, elasticity, and hydration when orally administered. Additionally, collagen reduces the wrinkling and roughness of the skin, and existing studies have found have not found any side effects to its oral supplements. So, according to these researchers, there is some benefit to it. They then included, though, both oral and topical collagen can contribute to reducing or delaying skin aging. Future epidemiological studies with large sample size and thorough follow-up measures would be required to comprehensively understand the potential effects of these two types of collagen on the aging process. Now, it's important to note that this is not an actual study. This was a review of 12 studies from 2010 to 2020. And that's the best they could glean from all that? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so that's so that the best they could do. I mean, so you say, okay, well, all right, thanks, Perry. Is collagen, drinking collagen, is that a myth? Or is it a scam? I would have elaborated on that question. A, a myth or a scam, right. Well, I mean, for, for some supplement makers, I would say, yes, it's a scam. They're probably just taking gelatin or something. They get cheap and mix it up and call it collagen. <laughs> but you don't know who that is. Let's just assume they're not doing that. Drinking collagen, it's a protein, and it's nutritious in that way. And I've heard it claimed that collagen is special because it contains hydroxyproline and Mm, other mm. products don't. Which is a ringed amino acid. Excellent for heat protection in hair, but continue. Right. I mean, while there aren't a lot that contain hydroxyproline, it's not common, but it's not also exclusive to collagen. For example, you can find it in gelatin or elastin. Both animal byproducts, by the way. But, you know, some studies have shown that some of the hydroxyproline can survive the digestion process and get into your blood. Now, does that mean that it's then it's going to just go to your skin and make more collagen? Well, you know, it's some of it is, yeah, but your body doesn't actually need you to eat hydroxyproline to be able to make that portion of, of the mo- of the protein. So, you know, it's not like this is an essential amino acid. Your body can produce this little segment. It's a little complicated, I guess, but the bottom line is that I doubt you'll see much skin improvement by drinking collagen. Now, some people claim that is effective for your skin, and, you know, you can see some researchers believe that too. 
but I remain skeptical since most of the positive research is published. It's motivated since it's you know produced by the supplement makers. If they had a negative study, they certainly aren't going to publish that, right? No, they wouldn't. So Elvira just wants to know, should she throw her collagen away? And I would say, let's say it's a myth. Let's say it's a scam in terms of beautifying your skin. Not necessarily proven to work, at least to Perry's satisfaction. I think I would not throw the collagen away because it contains amino acids and your body needs those. So I would akin it to... Uh, having meat or something like that you're going to get the same benefit from it so don't throw it away just maybe not buy it with much hope that it's going to do much for your skin right you can sprinkle it on your ice cream or something and you know finish it off no with the coffee that's what you do with the coffee right wasn't that like a trend for a while was it i i must have been a tiktok thing (laughs) i actually i think it was yikes looks like we have time for one more from a patron this comes to us from Ellen. Hi, Beauty Brains. I'm a dermatologist who sees a lot of patients for hair loss and became interested in your podcast as a way to learn more about the chemistry of the products patients are using. I have a couple of questions for you today. Number one, in shampoos like Nioxin that make hair look full, what are the key ingredients that achieve this? And number two, some of my patients really like the Curel Hydrotherapy Wet Skin Moisturizer. The marketing claim is water-activated moisture. Reviewing the ingredients, they seem pretty similar to all the other moisturizing creams. What, if any ingredients in there, make it better than the average moisturizer for application to wet skin? Thanks for everything you've taught me, Ellen. Well, thank you, Ellen, and uh, congrats on a dermatologist learning more about the chemistry of cosmetic products. Yay. Well, this is actually two questions, which is why we said we had six questions on the show today. But as a patron, she gets her questions higher priority. And if you want to help support the show and get a higher priority of your questions, go to patreon.com slash thebeautybrains and subscribe. All right, Valerie, Nioxin. I believe we talked about this in a previous episode. We've talked about it for a few different reasons. And this is actually very interesting because I believe it to be marketing at its finest. Ah, When we talk about hair uh, looking thicker, looking fuller. The key words are thicker, fuller looking hair. And that right. is because this is a total perception claim. If you said it actually made your hair thicker, it actually grew in your hair to make it fuller, that would be a drug claim and that would qualify under hair growth. However, Nioxin has done a really great job. Some of, and you know, as an aside, some of their ingredients really do. Uh, purport some of these uh, activities if you look at some of the in vitro and ex vivo research. But sure. in terms of the consumer product, Nioxin does a really great job of positioning their products to provide thicker, fuller looking hair. Now with hair products, Perry, how do you do that? There were always two ways that we did it. One way was to throw in some extra surfactant and so it really cleans the hair and that helps to poof up the hair a bit. Uh, so the fibers yep. sort of don't stick together more. They're poof more. The other way that we did it was to include a cationic polymer, and that would help to put some bulking agent on the surface, and that would separate the hairs. That's pretty much the strategy we took over there at VO5 and Tresemme. How'd you guys do it? It's a pretty ubiquitous strategy. No matter what company you've worked at, those are the tricks. Additionally, you would not put things that weigh the hair fiber down. 
because this would be a sleeking, smoothing project, product then. You don't want to weigh the hair fiber down. We also used other ingredients like certain silicones or proteins yeah. that would form a film on the hair and actually increase the fiber diameter of the hair fiber. Hydrolyzed mm. rice protein is one of them that can do such a thing. And so by this tactic, you know, we could say, well, your hair is thicker because the fiber diameter increased by 21% based on this silicone or this uh, this protein we put in. So there's a few tricks, but the key words are thicker, fuller looking. So it's a total yeah. perception claim. Right. If you measured the fiber, typically the fibers are not actually getting thicker or fuller. Another trick that I tried was to put like little nylon particles in between the hair oh, fibers, yeah. but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> and it didn't work that well anyways. <laughs> No, you can't. So yeah. when we look at the shampoo and conditioner products for nioxin, really it just has to be these these basic things because the reality is these products rinse off. They're not meant to be left on for an extended period of time. There's likely minimal penetration into scalp or hair, which is a good thing um, in terms of skin contact. So yeah. I would say probably not a whole lot is going on to actually make a permanent long-lasting effect. You would need to keep using the products. They have no special advanced technology that other people couldn't use to get the same kind of effects, but it's a good marketing story. And a lot of it is just in the mindset of using it. My mom loves Nioxin. She has thinning hair. It's genetic within my whole family. So I'm on the hair thinning highway myself. Oh, no. But yeah, but uh, she loves her Nioxin and it really makes her uh, feel really confident. So I will say uh, they have that uh, corner of the market because people really love it. They have a big loyal fan base and it works. If it didn't work, people wouldn't do it. Right. Products are good. Speaking of good products, what about this Curel Hydrotherapy Wet Skin Moisturizer? I'm looking at this, the water activated. First of all, kudos to the Curel people, water activated moisturizer. That that sounds like something. (laughs) Of course, looking at the uh, formula, we've got water, We've got glycerin, and we got isopropyl palmitate, mineral oil, shea butter. Okay, sounds pretty pretty much like, uh, you know, your standard skin lotion, huh? Yeah, this is interesting because this is also a really clever way to take a kind of boring product like a body moisturizer and put a new spin on it. So typically, yeah. you apply moisturizer to dry skin, and there's a ton of them on the market. Curel sells a bunch of them. And some people might, outside of the Curel business, apply lotion to wet skin. And perhaps someone at Curel said, well, we sell this lotion for dry skin. What if we put it on wet skin? Or what if someone at Curel saw a TikTok trend where people were putting Hmm. their lotion on wet and said, we have a new product opportunity, something we don't already sell. Now, I'll tell you, if you take an ordinary moisturizer and you try to put it on wet skin, the lotion gets diluted down so much it's not meant to take on all of that extra water and it actually feels pretty unpleasant and it doesn't go into the skin but perry read these ingredients to us and i bet you this was designed with a high humectant content and high oil content to be able to break down into skin 
Well, it does look like they're mostly using the polymeric emulsifiers, associated thickeners, to, to help keep everything together. Although they do have that bahine trimonium chloride and bahine diamidopropyl dimethylamine, so those will interact with the emulsification system. But I think they're mostly relying on these polymers. Right, and so it's a lot easier for once it applies to the skin, it probably does absorb pretty much immediately because it's less of a conventional moisturizer and more of a a suspension type system. Yeah, it's going to leave a film on there so that can help lock in the water also. Yeah, and it's an interesting concept because when skin is wet, um, you know, the outermost layers of your skin are designed to get wet and designed to withstand water. Um, Really, the outermost layers, uh, which are dead skin, are protecting the inside layers of your skin, the dermis. And so I probably believe the claims that it does work with water to glide into the deepest layers of skin's surface by the way, keyword being skin surface, not your skin, to absorb immediately. And skin probably does feel three times more hydrated instantly. So are really clever marketing. Yeah. Now they have ceramides in there and such, and I'm like, eh, that's probably not doing much. But uh, it's part of the story. (laughs) Yeah, very interesting, uh, very interesting product. I'm not sure I would have ever, ever thought about this. So as things go, I'm sh- I'm sure it's a fine moisturizer. I don't see anything in here that makes it like advanced technology, and this is probably something any other company could have done. It's just a clever application of ha- telling people to use a moisturizer when your skin's a little wet. Yeah, and it's not that traditional emulsion format, which probably makes it better than the average moisturizer for application to wet skin. But I think I'm going to stick to my dry skin moisturizer application because I love the way my legs feel with a good moisturizer. I don't like the wet stuff. And it goes along with your dry sense of humor, too. Oh hey, speaking of humor, you hear that music? Oh, gosh, everyone. That's all we have time for today. If you get a chance, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. That's going to help other people find the show and ensure we have a full docket of beauty questions to answer. And if you have a question, just record it on your smartphone and email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com and we can get your voice on the show. Speaking of the show, the Beauty Brains are on Patreon. If you like the fact that we do not have advertisements uh, and we can just say whatever we like, you know, mostly, (laughs) you can help support the show because it's not free to do the show. We do have hosting costs and uh, and such, and you can go to the uh, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/TheBeautyBrains and subscribe at any level. You get a transcript of the show, and you get a higher priority of answering your questions. Also, don't forget to follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at TheBeautyBrains2018. On Twitter, we're at TheBeautyBrains. We have a Facebook page and a TikTok. All right. Well, it was great seeing you again, Valerie. Good to see you. I'm so glad we're keeping the weekly recording up. We are. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Thanks, everyone. Kittens. <laughs>